I talk about relationships a lot on here because I think they go hand in hand with anxiety. I mean, I think they go hand in hand with everything. Relationships are everything in our lives. I'm Lindsay. I'm here to teach you proven strategies to be your own therapist that will take you from anxious to relieved. I'm here to help you feel lighter and hopeful while building a life full of meaning. I'm a licensed anxiety therapist running a successful private practice in New York City. So from someone that gives therapy and has been in therapy, I'm here to help you use the formula that moved me forward through serious anxiety in my own life. So follow along as I share what works and what doesn't. This is Unlock Your Therapy. Hello, and welcome to the Unlock Your Therapy podcast. This is session number 23. 23. Wow, I'm impressed. (laughs) I'm happy to be talking to you all today, even though I never know who's listening and recording podcasts is so odd because you're talking to yourself essentially, but I am still loving it. I really enjoy this. It's kind of the highlight of my week is making my podcast. So I thank you all for continuing to listen. I can tell when people are listening and it shows me numbers and tracks which episodes are doing well. And it's just nice to see there's a lot of people out there listening. So it makes me excited. Okay, so today's episode is my high and low where I share something that went well this week. And then something that didn't go as well, just to relate and be more human. And then the high is to appreciate and reflect on my past week, just kind of taking inventory of what happened this past week, good and not so good. And I think that's it's a nice thing for me to do, but I just like sharing because hopefully people can relate to it. Then we have anxiety. I skipped it last week, but it is back this week. And I'm sharing a lot of different research studies that have been done on life satisfaction is one of the research studies I'm going to talk in depth about. And the other one is about recovering from anxiety disorders, which is a very hopeful research study that was done in Canada. I think it was done recently. I have to look at the year they conducted it. I'm pretty sure it was recent because I checked this research for mental health website and it was up there as a recent article. So I think it's just nice to hear positive things about anxiety and getting through it and feeling better from it. I get asked that question all the time is, will I get over my anxiety? Will there ever be a time I don't have anxiety? And people kind of want to know that. And I think that's normal to want to know that. It gives people hope. I think if we focus too much on that, we're in the future and being anxious about that instead of in the moment, which is what helps get rid of the anxiety or help it naturally dissipate. But I think hearing different research articles that have scientifically proven people heal from anxiety and feel better can be very helpful. And it gives people a reason to keep chipping away at the things that help their anxiety. It's kind of like when you're working out or going for walks or, you know, the first few weeks, you're really out of breath, you're tired. It's not a habit yet. So it's really hard to drag your butt out there and do it. And you kind of need a little motivation to keep going. So I think hearing that there's research that proves these things work 
helps people buy in and it's like, okay, it's worth doing this huge effort, which all of the things to help chip away an anxiety is a huge effort for people that have anxiety. And it's very counterintuitive to the way their brains are wired. It's extra hard to go against the grain of anxiety and do things differently. So I think this is hopeful. So anyway, I'm sharing research today that I think is very hopeful. And then we get into skill of the week. And skill of the week just is a segue from those research articles into skill of the week and action item of the week. It all blends together today. But I think there is separate messages that we can pull out of that research to learn from it for skill of the week and then take action on it for action item of the week. So it's a lighter episode than last week. And I think it's a positive one and important and meaningful. Okay, so let's get into high and low. I have a lot to say about this this week. So it's the beginning of the week today and Carson got diagnosed with the flu at urgent care over the weekend. He told me he had a headache on Thursday, which is very unusual. I mean, he didn't say I have a headache. He's three. But he said, oh, the front of my head here hurts. And I was like, oh, that's so unusual that he has a headache. And that was the only thing I noticed. And then on Friday... He was a little cranky in the morning when he woke up. And I even said to Dan, oh, I I hope he's not getting sick because when he's really grouchy in the morning, like cranky and, you know, just not cooperative when I'm getting him ready for school, it's usually that he's getting sick. But I didn't see any other signs that he was sick. He seemed totally fine. So I was like, oh, okay, maybe he's just tired, cranky. And then Friday when I picked him up from school, his after-school teacher said he he mentioned his tummy hurt, but otherwise he seemed okay. Um, Oh, and his eyes were watering and he gets really angry when his eyes and nose are watering. Like he rubs it with a tissue. He gets obsessed with tissues and rubbing his face with them. And he rubs his little eyes like raw underneath and his nose raw. And then when we got home, he seemed like he didn't feel so great. And then like later at night, He had a fever, I think, like a low fever. And then in the morning, he was like full-blown sick. Oh, he didn't sleep at all that night. That's right. He was up all night long, which means I was up all night long. As much as Dan tries to help alleviate what I have to do overnight when the kids wake up, Carson just asks for mommy and poor Dan tries to go in there and he says, no, I want mommy. Go away. So I had to be up literally... Every 20 minutes, he was crying, hysterically crying, and he wouldn't even like say why he was crying. I think he just felt so sick. Saturday, they told me he had the flu, and luckily, I mean, I gave him Motrin and Tylenol, and um, luckily later that day, his fever went away on its own. He took a really long nap, and then when he woke up, he didn't have a fever anymore, but he was still very sick, but he went to bed early or not early, but he took a long nap. Then he went to bed and he slept all night long and he got a really good sleep. He woke up like at 8.30 the next morning and that was yesterday and he felt better. He wasn't 100% better. He was still like looked really worn out. His poor face didn't look good, but he had no fever and he was in much better spirits. You could tell he was like tired, but he was playing and running around and doing good. So I was so happy about that. And the rest of us are all healthy, knock on wood, that we stay that way. 
I went out and got my flu shot, even though, you know, it's, it, w- it wouldn't save me now because it takes a while to build up, but it's more mental. And I feel so bad that he didn't get a chance to get his flu shot before he got the flu. Because every time I'd be at the doctor with him and try to get him one, he would be sick or he had an ear infection for a while that was recurring and he can't, you can't get the flu shot when you have anything like that. So I kept waiting and then I just didn't get to get him one the last two weeks when he was feeling better. So I feel really bad. But he's okay. And Everett's okay. So we shall see. We'll try to hold on the rest of us. I'm, I'm hopeful. So that was the low. And I had to cancel my Christmas party. I have a big family, extended family Christmas party at my house most years. We didn't really get to do it the last like two years because of COVID. And this was the first year where I was, you know, everyone was going to come and I had to cancel it. But a lot of people were texting that they were sick anyway. So it wouldn't have been a full house as it was. And then Carson had the flu and obviously I can't give everybody the flu. So it's too bad. But on the high, my parents were here visiting. They came up from South Carolina. They drove up to visit us to celebrate, you know, Christmas time and have a December visit. And that was really nice. Carson was thrilled to see them. Everett was so happy to see them. And I just feel bad Carson was sick. He couldn't fully enjoy their visit, but he he was okay. Like yesterday, he was in a good mood and he got to enjoy them more. We walked around at a park outside and so he did get to have fun with them. And on Friday when he saw them, he was so excited. So it was nice. And I was happy to see them. We got to go out to eat a few times and so it was good. And the other high is that my house is more in order because I had to organize and clean and do all that for the Christmas party. That never happened. But at least I could say things are more in order, even though I didn't have my Christmas party. (laughs) I feel ready for Christmas because I got my tree, which was another high. I went to Brooklyn and got my tree, decorated it, put it all together, got out the Christmas decorations. So at least that's good. I feel like things are, are good in the house, but sad I couldn't get together with everybody. Maybe I'll have to make like individual visits to different family members, see everybody, spend time with people. Okay. Welcome to Anxiety, where we discuss a hot topic, a news article, celebrity drama going on, hot goss, or mental health research or a book or something new that came out with new information. So the first research article I want to talk about is from the University of Toronto. They did research on anxiety of 2,100 Canadians that identified as having an anxiety disorder. They used um, some kind of research-proven scale to identify them as having anxiety disorder. And they wanted to know what are the factors that contribute to people getting better and recovering from generalized anxiety disorder. And generalized anxiety disorder is a disorder of anxiety where it's very broad. So you might have a lot of anxiety about general life, nothing specific or in particular. You might just have anxiety in your body and feel anxious. It's not about a phobia or anxiety around one topic or an OCD or a trauma or an acute stress that's causing the anxiety to happen. It's just general anxiety that you're experiencing. So this was very hopeful. So they wanted to see they had a term called complete mental health and they identified as having complete mental health If you really had 
life satisfaction and positive feelings every day for like the last month generally felt satisfied with your life and overall quote unquote happy for the past 30 days, which is a big ask. (laughs) I mean, really. And in the last year that you didn't have any anxiety symptoms, depressive symptoms, substance abuse, suicidal ideation, nothing major coming up in the past previous year. So really, these are people in like an extreme positive mental health standing that they identified. So out of 2,100 people that previously were diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, which they felt was a good representation of the Canadian public, by the way, and they said about 12% of Canadians in the whole country have generalized anxiety disorder or anxiety. So... Out of the 2,100 people that were used in the study, 40% they identified as now being in complete mental health, meaning they don't have anxiety symptoms anymore. And in the previous year, did not have any anxiety symptoms whatsoever or depressive symptoms whatsoever. So that's huge. 40% of people that were previously diagnosed like with the mental health disorder of anxiety disorder are now completely better you know, in terms of how they define this. So I thought that was fascinating. So they said the people, they were just kind of, they didn't really say what those people did to get better, but they wanted to just see, do they have common factors that might be predictive of the types of people who are likely to get better? This was even bigger. So 40%, they said, are in a state of excellent mental health, this complete mental health that they identified. But of that study, they said 72% of Canadians with a history of generalized anxiety disorder have been free of the mental health condition for at least one year. That is huge. 72% were free of anxiety disorder and 40% were thought to be in excellent mental health. And they defined excellent mental health as almost daily happiness or life satisfaction in the last month. Number two, high levels of social and psychological well-being in the past month. And number three, freedom from generalized anxiety disorder or depressive disorder, suicidal thoughts, substance abuse for at least the preceding full year. So that was great. I mean, I think this is a really positive message that was put out there. And they said they were encouraged to learn this. Uh, It really shows a lot of hope for generalized anxiety disorder, where they believe 12% of the Canadian population suffers from anxiety. And it affects, you know, people attending work, hiring, job loss, all of that, because people with anxiety miss work for that. So they wanted to really look into this and they want also people that have anxiety to thrive, not just like, you know, get on and show up for work, but how can they be living their best lives and heal and then some, you know, how can they really achieve life satisfaction and happiness? So I thought this was really encouraging. So they said 36% higher odds for people that used spiritual coping in some way. So people were 36% more likely to improve with anxiety symptoms if they had a spiritual undertaking of some kind, spiritual coping. And I thought that was really interesting. And I'm going to talk more about that in the next research I'm going to share. They found people with poor physical health, functional limitations, insomnia, a history of depression were impediments 
to excellent mental health in this sample they did. So those were the common things that led to not as good mental health. And they found people with a partner or someone they could confide in was also very predictive of healing from anxiety. So I thought that that was great. Individuals who had at least one person, just one person in their lives, who provided them with a sense of emotional security and well-being were three times more likely to be in excellent mental health than those without a confidant. And three times more likely is 300% increase. You're 300% more likely to you know, have better mental health because of having one person in your life that is an emotional security for you and someone you can really confide in. So I thought this research was very hopeful. Let me just say again who did this research. So this was called Achieving Complete Mental Health Despite a History of Generalized Anxiety Disorders, Findings from a Large Nationally Representative <laughs> Canadian Survey, done by Esme Fuller-Thompson and Candice Reichman, or Rickman, by the University of Toronto. So this was really, I think, just a positive message and I kind of like that it doesn't really tell you what these people did. It doesn't say this one's on uh, medication, this one's in therapy, because it really focuses on natural factors in their lives. And I think that gives people a sense of control that they have control over the meaning in their lives. And I think a lot of this comes down to meaning in your life and values, which is all about the kind of therapy I really believe is the way to heal through anxiety disorders is the acceptance and commitment piece, which acceptance and commitment therapy, for those that don't know, is what we use in our practice. And it's research proven, evidence-based, and it informs all of the treatment we do in our practice, as well as just any other educational materials I create and what I talk about here is about identifying your values and living in line with those values, assessing if your life is in line with them daily in small, tiny ways, and seeing where you might be out of alignment and trying to bring something into your life that lines up with those values. And that creates meaning in your life. So no matter what you're struggling with, it could be depression, anxiety, anything, trauma, you know, loss, grief, Really focusing on meaning in your current life brings that mindfulness element of present moment mindfulness and focusing on meaning. So even if you're struggling with other things, those things can exist and you can have meaning in your life at the same time. And the meaning helps to offset the suffering, right? So that if you have meaning, you have deep connections with people that are meaningful, you have someone you can confide in emotionally. And like this study said, you uh, maybe have spiritual connections and coping and maybe a community there involved with that. That shows you have meaning in your life. There's things that bring your life meaning and why you're here and a purpose and why you wake up every day and do the things you do and enjoying those things because there's meaning attached to them. If someone doesn't value health, right, they're not going to wake up and go for a walk. They don't value that. That's not something they're in line with. So you have to have those values in order to do behaviors that help you feel good and feel your best. If you don't value family, you're not going to make an effort to see family members. 
if you don't value friends, you're not going to go see friends and have a nice friendship with people and people you can talk to and confide in and laugh with and do fun things with. So you have to identify your values and then you bring your behaviors in line with those values in little ways. It doesn't have to be anything crazy, just that, oh, I really value creativity and I haven't done anything creative lately. Maybe that's why I'm feeling a little off. Maybe that's why my life isn't feeling as meaningful lately and I feel a little out of touch with things. How can I bring that value into my life? Oh, maybe I can pick up a hobby again. Maybe I can pick up crocheting that I used to do or whatever. So you're just kind of thinking of value and meaning and how you can get in line with that again. And I think that's what this research is kind of showing as well. And now I want to segue into another research article. And this one I want to talk about more in depth. This research was done by Harvard. So Harvard did a probably the longest research on a group of humans in history to look at life satisfaction, what leads to a fulfilling, satisfied life. And in the 30s, they followed a group in 1938. They followed a group of sophomores from Harvard throughout their whole lives, as many as they could continuously track and that, you know, interacted with them and kept up with the study. And um, and there's a good group of them still alive now in their 90s. So it's really the longest study that they've done and to track a group of people. Because most of the time when they've tried to do this, they fall apart because the researcher in charge of it dies, the researchers get distracted with other things, the participants fall off, and whoever's funding the research might you know, lose interest. So this was really incredible that they could continuously track this group of people. And they learned a lot of information about this. I read about this in the Harvard Gazette. So it's called, the article that summarizes the research is called Good Genes Are Nice, But Joy Is Better. So for over 80 years, they tracked this group of people. And they added other people to the study as they went. So they also added another group in the 70s of residents living in an inner city neighborhood in Boston that were very poor. So they didn't even have running water. A lot of these kids, they followed them as teenagers, almost like 450 teens from this neighborhood. They added those in as well. 40 of them are still alive and being tracked. Well, this article was from like five or six years ago. So at that time. So they're actually the guy in charge of the research right now He uh, is Robert Waldinger, and he's a psychiatrist at Massachusetts General Hospital. Yeah, and he is a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. So he's the current research director over the study right now, and he gave a TED Talk. The TED Talk has millions of views, and he talked all about how to live a fulfilling life and what does this research teach us. Lessons from the Longest Study on Happiness is the title of his TED Talk. So he talked about what have we learned from this group of people. And they do all kinds of things to this group of people. They send them for MRI studies. They take blood from them. They track their marriages. They record conversations between their spouses and them. They study them as much as possible. They send them surveys. They really in-depthly have collected tens of thousands of pages on these people. And what have they learned? So the overall message from this entire study is that social connections are really important and the quality of those relationships matter. 
And people who had good social relationships and partnerships of quality at age 50 were the healthiest at age 80 out of all these people they studied. So the people that were most satisfied with their relationships in their life at age 50 were the healthiest physically at age 80. And I think that's amazing. And he talked about that healthy relationships were better predictors than their cholesterol levels for how healthy they were in their lives. And they studied a lot of people. So I think that's amazing. And they also said small arguments don't matter. And it's the big picture. If you have a partner or a friend or a relationship in your life where you can count on them when times are really, really hard and you know they're going to be a solid person there for you, but maybe you bicker, you argue, you have little fights here and there. They said even marriages that have like bickering day in and day out, that didn't matter. It didn't have any negative effect on their physical health or on memories or Alzheimer's disease. And it was really as long as in the big picture, the relationship was healthy. They were there for each other in hard times. They really relied on each other and felt connected to each other and felt like the other person was a confident they could talk to, very similar to the other study as well. Then that is what mattered. And so the TED Talk that Robert Wallinger did, he said the takeaway is that loneliness kills us. And we need good, healthy relationships in our lives. And he said people that replaced work relationships that were lost with new play relationships, the people that actively sought out relationships and kept relationships and added new relationships when old ones died off and really assessed the quality of their friendships and relationships were the healthiest people in their lives out of all these people in the studies. And I thought that was really, really interesting and great. And he talked about um, what he got out of this study and what he does in his life. Well, first of all, he's a Zen priest. (laughs) So he practices meditation every day. And he said he invests time and energy in his relationships more than ever before based on the results of this study that he's overseeing. He's an older guy. Um, I don't know how old he is, but he really values relationships. And he said it's critical to your health. I created something brand new, the No More People Pleasing mini course. I help women to stop people pleasing and put themselves first without the guilt. What would life look like if you could stop asking your partner to order food for you in a restaurant? or ask your boss for that raise you're long overdue for. I'm gonna teach you four proven strategies, research proven strategies, that's gonna bring you from people pleasing and passive to empowered and confident. You're gonna use my outline, my scripts, my beautifully designed PDFs to get the exact skills you need to become more assertive in your life. I'm gonna teach you four skills through my videos and worksheets that's gonna bring you to a place of confidence and being assertive in your life. You're gonna get my beautifully designed self-esteem daily journal to print out, my practice assignments to start changing your mindset and your behaviors. If you sign up now before I launch, you can get it for $29. That's the lowest it will ever be. And I'm giving everyone who signs up now a bonus gift. So go to at Unlock Your Therapy on Instagram, click the link in my bio, 
to get on the list. This kind of segues into skill of the week. And the skill of the week, I want to be to really take inventory of your relationships. I talk about relationships a lot on here because I think they go hand in hand with anxiety. I mean, I think they go hand in hand with everything, right? I mean, this show is, they go hand in hand with everything. Relationships are everything in our lives. But I think for people who have anxiety, maybe it's harder to have friendships or to have different relationships, or maybe they have anxiety about socializing. So it's harder, right, to go to a new social group or to make new friends or really to reach out or to randomly go to a meetup or to start dating someone or to put yourself out there on a dating app or to show up to a book club or whatever, to do new different things. I think it's harder for people with anxiety. Obviously, that's a general statement. I think it matters what kind of anxiety you have. Some people with anxiety, that doesn't bother them at all. They're very extroverted and outgoing. But for a lot of people that have anxiety, you know, people with anxiety worry about things like, oh, everyone's going to look at me. I don't know anyone there. It's going to be awkward. So I think it lends itself to not having a great social network around you and not taking inventory of the friendships that you have currently. I think even though it's hard, it's very healthy to kind of look at the friendships and relationships you have in your life periodically and decide if they're working for you. Decide if they're really, I don't want to say serving you, but if they're reciprocal or is it just you giving and giving and giving all the time and you're not getting much back and people aren't showing up for you in the same way. I think it's really important to look at relationships and friendships. And even though you might dearly love those people, you can still have them in your life. But I think it's healthy to add in new friendships and new relationships and to give those energy and time and pour into ones that are really reciprocal and going to be there for you as well. And it's really amazing. I was watching a show... My Unorthodox Life. I don't know if any of you watched that on Netflix, but they just came out with a season two and I'm addicted to it. It's great. I only have like, I don't know, one or two episodes left, which I might watch today. (laughs) So Julia Hart is going through a hard time. I'm not going to recap the whole show for you. You can Google it, but there's a lot of drama in the show and she's going through a divorce and she was the CEO of a big modeling agency and she got fired in the divorce by her ex-husband and all this stuff. And she was saying that she's very much a forgive and forget person and she's very loving and accepting, but there's a lot of people in her life that didn't show up for her in her time of need. And it was new relationships that she developed only recently, like in the past few years. And those people were there for her like day in and day out during this hard time. And it was people in her old past and relationships that didn't call, didn't show up, And she understands why. I mean, they are from the Jewish community that she left. So there's a lot of things there that, you know, it's taboo for them to show up for her. But she was saying, you know, it's taught me a lot that developing new relationships is key. And those people really have showed up in a big way for her. And it was really surprising. And I think that's so important to remember. I love to think of that some of the best, most important people in your life you haven't met yet. And I think that is so cool. 
right? If you think about it, when you change jobs or you move or your kids go to a new school or whatever, you meet people and sometimes they become really close people and like one of your best friends that you haven't even met yet. And I think that's just so interesting to think of. There's people out there in the world you're going to be really close to that you haven't even met yet. And I think it's important to diversify your group of people so that you get different things from different people. And I think especially when people have anxiety, it's helpful to be friends with people who are not like you (laughs) because you get a different perspective. I think if you have anxiety and you're uptight, (laughs) right, or you're not as laid back, it's important to have friends who have a totally different perspective and show you out a bit. I mean, it might be irritating because maybe they're late or maybe they, you know, are too laid back in some ways for you when it bothers you. But I think it's important to have those kinds of friends too, because it is just a different mentality of life and that you're not always right about everything. Just because you're on time or early doesn't mean that's the right way to be, right? And they can kind of teach you a lot. Like it's okay to like take it easy and relax and you're not a machine and like you can just kind of do nothing together and hang out and things don't always have to be like in order. And I just think that's a really nice perspective to have. It reminds me of um, an article I was reading and it was saying, they gave the analogy of like exercise or yoga or something. And it was saying to do the type of exercise that feels like counterintuitive to you. And that's the kind of exercise you need. So like if you're a runner and you love to run and sweat and work out really hard or go to CrossFit, maybe you should try like restorative yoga, like a really slow stretching, just deep breathing, not achieving anything kind of exercise. And I thought that was so interesting. And I I like that. I like being the devil's advocate for things. So I enjoyed that perspective. So for action item of the week, I think it'll be good to take inventory of your relationships and to just kind of assess, you know, you don't have to like write this down or anything, but just to assess like, are there friendships or relationships in your life that you know are not very reciprocal and you maybe want to add different friendships to your life and not pour as much energy and time into the ones where you're just not getting back from those people. They're not adding a lot to what you need and showing up for you in the way you show up for them. And I'm not talking about like a little bit where they're having a hard time. Maybe they're having a hard year, right? They're going through something hard. They're not as available. They need you more than you need them. not talking about that. I mean, over time. And as I'm talking, I know you're thinking of someone in your head. <laughs> Everyone who's listening to this is already knows in their head who they're thinking about. And you don't have to like break up with that person. But I think just giving them a little less energy and time and letting it go a little more. And if they reach out to you a lot where it's hard to do that, pick up like every other call or talk to them every other time. Just put a little space there because that space will allow you to add different friendships and people to your life that value you and your family and the things that are important to you and check in on you and not just you always 
being there for them only, which I think is also common with people with anxiety, that people pleasing, the doing for others, people with anxiety tend to be doers <laughs> and they tend to be caring of other people. And I don't know what that is. There's, there's probably research on that. I'll have to check. But I think it's common and it's certainly common for clients I've had and people who I know who have anxiety. So, you know, just try to think of what you want to add to your life and then what's doable for you. Do you want to join a class or join a book club or join some kind of running group or whatever, whatever you think that would add to your life or maybe just like joining the PTA at school or I don't know, somewhere that's a community of people that you can put yourself in because that will naturally create more friendships because it creates more events, more things to go to or do or volunteering for something. And it a lot of them revolve around an activity. So it's not as socially awkward when there's like something to be done, right? You have an activity to do. If you join something with your kids, like you might help plan the kids party for that event or the sports thing or whatever. It puts you in a community of people where you have a common purpose, something to surround yourself around. And people naturally become friends by doing that. And that's great. So think of for you what that might be and give it a little thought and energy. Okay, that's all I have for you this week. This Wow, this was a really long episode. Thank you all so much. I will talk to you all next week.